One of the greatest blessings as a pastor is to have uh, the men that come alongside you to, to encourage, to hold you accountable, to support you, to slow you down. All the things they do, um, the relationship for them, I'm very thankful for. And I praise God that they love Jesus and they love his church. I really see the love for Jesus and the church in their lives. If you're new to FCC, we want to welcome you. If you're watching online, we're glad you're here. You may have been shared this link by somebody. You're like, what is this? Uh, just hang with us today. We, we pray that you'll be blessed and be challenged and, and God will be glorified in this. We're in this new series uh, called Can I Ask That? It's actually, we're in the, the second month of it, but we've, been, we've um, stretched it out a little bit because you've been asking some great, great questions. We've asked the church to share what's on your heart and your minds that we should wrestle with uh, before God to change our lives, to guide us. Last week, if you were here, we answered as many questions as we could from the kids' ministry. And they were great. I, I enjoyed that tremendously. I hope you were uh, challenged by that. You found that interesting as well. But today we're going to wrestle with something that I believe is the most sensitive thing that we have dealt with to this point. I, I believe it's also the most intense matter of question that we may do this entire year. And I would ask you to pray that, that the hearts would be open to hear it today. I also believe as followers of Jesus, we must wrestle with this question. Because if we ignore it, if, if we just say, oh, this doesn't matter, everybody really knows what's right, and, and we're not going to, to really deal with the reality, we will miss the, 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 the point of this, and a generation will be greatly influenced without the input of the church. This also is the question that was asked more than any other by you. And so while you're sitting down for this question before I answer it, or ask it even, I'm going to also have a seat because I think it's only fitting, okay? So we all get to have a seat before we get going. Here are the questions that you submitted, and this is sensitive, but hear my heart in this. Can you be gay and be a Christian? It's a great question. What does the Bible say about being homosexual? Are people born gay? Where does the church stand with the LGBTQ community? I can't address all those questions in one message, and I'm not going to try, but I am thankful for each and every one of them. If you ask that, thank you, because I know these questions matter. Uh, they're before you in culture. Uh, they're in, in your families, in your discussions, and I understand there's a lot of confusion on this matter and where we should stand as Christians, what we should stay, what we should, what we should do. There's frustration at times in the world, and there's lots of opinions on the subject of homosexuality and gender identity. And if we're not careful, uh, this division among us as friends and families in the church and as Christians can grow. And I know today that I will not please everyone in this discussion. In fact, I am almost certain that something I share today will almost make everyone uncomfortable in this room, including myself. So why would we want to address it? Why would we want to, to, to go down the road to try to answer questions that, that are going to be uh, so intense? The reason is there's few things right now in the world that is more questioned, more confusing, and divisive than this matter. So I believe it's important for the church, based on God's word, guided through the Holy Spirit, to speak up, to listen, to, to dialogue, and to, to provide answers through him. Because it matters. I also understand that if we don't share with the next generation, our young people, the students, our children, 
that they are engaged in a daily basis with this concept. And if we don't speak up, they are going to be swayed one way or the other by the world and the world only. And that cannot happen. Whether you'd like to admit it or not, this LGBT community conversation is one of the hottest topics in our world today. And it's often uh, hijacked with the agenda of mainstream media. So we must engage. We must speak up with truth and love. Here's another reason I asked the question. You know why? Because you asked for it, okay? Questions about the LGBT community were asked more than any other question. So if you're sitting by next to someone, say, thank you for asking the question. You may be like, why did you ask that, all right? So how will the church answer? Before I start off, before I kick off anymore, I think it's very important for us to ask the right question when it comes to this matter. It's extremely, extremely important uh, to not just answer any question, but be uh, very purposeful, even the questions we're willing to dialogue in. Because the world at times, let's be honest, will try to trap us into uh, putting a bad uh, light on Christianity and or Jesus by if, if we get caught up answering the wrong question. They tried to trap Jesus often by having him answer a question that, that would condemn him no matter how he answered. So we need to be very careful about what questions we're even in discussion about. But we need to talk about it. So the questions you asked today, were they traps? I don't think so at all. I don't think any of the questions that were presented in this process were traps at all. But, but I want to weave all of them into one central question to help us go towards our vision today of sharing hope at FCC. So here's the question that we're going to be trying to answer the rest of the time together. You would be very surprised how long we took as a staff trying to even come up with the right question to talk about today in light of all the questions you ask. D and I prayed in, in his office on more than one occasion. Is this the thing we want to deal with? And I want to share with you this question that, that I am very comfortable with because I believe it provides hope even in the question. And here it is. How can we share hope with the LGBTQ plus community? That's a question I'm willing to answer. I'm willing to talk about. It's great. It's a question that's designed to lead us into action, not just judgment or condemnation. The days of simply saying that we're going to prove a point and say who's right and who's wrong, who's going to heaven, who's headed to hell, is not, have not been that helpful on this matter. We must get back to the point of God's main purpose for us, providing hope through Christ, not pointing towards punishment in hell. See, for a long time, the church has been kind of stereotyped globally of all we're doing is condemning people. And we're not in the purpose of condemning people. We're in the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. But before we dive in any further, I want you to know something. I'm glad you're here. Every one of you, even right now, if you're not glad you're here, I'm glad you're here, okay? There's a little joke in that, but I know you can breathe also. I need to remind myself to breathe this morning. This is an intense matter. If you're same-sex attracted, if you identify with the LGBT community in any way, if you love someone that identifies in that way, I'm glad you're here. I wish I could connect with each one of you in that. If you are in that community or love someone in that community, God has a message for you of hope. He has a message for everyone of hope. Because not any of us follow God's will uh, in a perfect way. And I'm glad you're here to hear what God would say to you. I want you to know that you're loved by God, by the elders, and myself. 
And I pray that your love that you feel from this church would grow. Does that mean we're always going to understand each other and agree on everything? Probably not. There will be things that almost all of you will be uncomfortable with or disagree with in some way, shape, or form today, but I'm glad we're talking about this question. I'm glad we're wrestling with it. I want you to know uh, the elders that were all up here, the four new guys or uh, the three that are really just coming on, they're going to realize this year at some point that we don't all agree even in our meetings, but we're going to wrestle with it. With whatever the discussion may be, we as Christians need to be uh, so grounded in love and grace that we can be honest with each other. Amen? And so that's why we're going to talk about this today. And to others of you who don't know someone who's gay, don't believe you'll ever know someone who's gay, and are a bit confused why we would talk about this at church right now, hang in there with us. Don't give up on us. Don't shut us out. Because Satan, for too long, has been using this to divide the church, families, uh, marriages, and, and friendships. And we need to take a stand. Not against uh, people who identify as homosexual, homosexual. We need to take a stand against Satan, who has used this to divide so many people over the years. God has given us an identity in him that, that is our utmost value in what Satan is doing in this dilemma is he is leading the world to believe that someone's identity is found first in their sexuality, and that is a lie. Our identity is first found in the fact we're created in God's image, male and female, period. But have you noticed that so many people say, well, are you heterosexual? Are you homosexual? Are you... Uh, Transitioning? No, I am a child of God that wants to live according to his will. So if you're here today, please hear this. If you have been led to believe that your primary identity is in your sexuality, God has bigger plans than that for you. While sex is amazing, sex isn't where my identity is found. It's not where your identity has a core in. No matter if you're 12 or you're 102, we are children of the amazing God in heaven. And that's where identity is. And I pray today that you would better understand that, that you would know that and share that. So no matter where you came into this room standing on these issues, I want to know also, you to also know why we're addressing this. And it's not because I think we have all the answers. Because you know what? I know I don't. I don't have all the answers in this. But you know what? We trust the Lord and Savior Jesus who does. And he says about himself, and I trust this, that he is the truth. And Jesus is the perfect model of blending truth and love. And that's what our goal is to do. Jesus lived it. He lived out truth and love. Um, I think when we dive into some of these uh, deeper subjects that are very sensitive and offensive at times, we need to go back to the, the core uh, meanings of Scripture, the, the greatest values that we see in Scripture. And I, I see it in John 3.16. Let's go back to it, the, the truth of John 3.16. The hope of salvation for everyone. Look what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who did he come to save? The world. He came to save everyone. And, and Jesus wasn't sent to condemn, so why do we think that's our place? But we need to be very much about offering love and hope to the, those all sinners that are saved by grace. Because if we're not careful, you know what we lose sight of? Pointing people to Jesus. 
We lose sight of offering hope of a new life in Christ, a changed life in Christ. And what we get caught up in doing is saying, well, this is condemned and this is good. This is good and, and this is bad. While there's a, a time and a place for that, we need to remember at the core, Jesus came to save all people, including the LGBT community, including sinners like me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you may be wondering, who is the LGBT community plus? It's a great question. I think especially at first service, there were some people that were like, man, that seems to be changing all the time. You may feel that way as well. I think the plus at the end of this phrase uh, really shows that um, very well. They've put the plus on there just because this community of sexual orientation is continually expanding. And I don't have all the answers of even who is in this community. Um, I know that there's even more letters that go with this than even now. So I apologize if you identify with something that's not on this list. But here's what I want you to know. God loves you. And you're created in his image. But the L um, is for lesbian and, and, and gay and bisexual, transgender, queer, and plus this expanding nature. And God loves each of these people as much but no more than he loves you, no matter how you identify. We are all sinners saved by grace. Jesus died for sinners who are straight, who are single, and who have never had sex and never will. He died for all of us because we're all sinners, requiring his grace that we sang about this morning. And I will speak the truth and love about God's word and what it says about homosexual practices. The, the practice, the actions of homosexuality in a moment. But here's the key component. If you're a Christian and you're confused right now, here's my key challenge to you. Let's get past condemning people and keep pointing them to Christ because he's the hope that changes their life. So how can we share the hope with the LGBT community? Write this down in your hearts or on your paper, wherever it is. We must remember it's not our place to condemn, but it's our purpose to point others to the hope of a life-changed by Christ. Will you do that with me? In recent years, the global church has been made out to be condemning. Uh, the people who get publicity uh, uh, when they are the churches involved in, in uh, uh, homosexual conversation are, are the people that hold up the banners. God hates gays, and that is a lie from hell. Uh, I, I pray that you run from any type of nature that would convey a message that God hates anyone. He doesn't hate anyone. He despises their actions that are apart from his will. That's it. So we must not condemn, but point people to the grace of Jesus. Jesus leaves no one in sin, though, does he? Remember after he confronted the woman who was caught in adultery? What did he say to her? It wasn't a homosexual sin. It was just a sexual sin. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So how do you start living that out? What, what do we need to do? I think it's really cool. We get to fulfill our mission. Uh, our mission uh, even comes before our vision, and our vision is that hope changed everything. So, so where, where, where does our mission start out? It's really simple. Love God, love people, and serve all. I think that's where this conversation starts. We need to be loving God. And here's what I mean by this. When you love God, you say, God, I love you to the point where I'm making you Lord and King of my life. And so I'm going to submit my life to you and your will is going to trump my will, my wishes, my desires. Even when it comes to sex. You know, one of the strongest desires of any person, no matter what your uh, temptation may be, is a sexual uh, temptation. But when we make Jesus Lord and we make God the King of our lives, we're saying, God, I submit to your will. And we're going to be loving people. 
We're going to be in conversation with them. We're going to be listening to them. We're going to be trying to understand them and things that we may not make sense to us. And then we're going to be serving them, all of them, including people that are different from us in their perspective and their temptations. And it leads to conversations then about Jesus. And it leads people to, to see the hope in Jesus that is different than anything else that they've ever known of this world. Some of you are probably thinking right now, but Tyson, what do you know about conversations with the LGBT community? I can't imagine you really having a conversation with them. You are like the most heterosexual, uh, conservative, uh, white male from the Midwest preacher that I know of. You, you, you can't really relate to that. Oh, you've stereotyped me that way, huh? <laughs> Thanks for the stereotype. I know it's a real thing that the, uh, at times, uh, the, the longer we're in a culture, I grew up in southern Indiana, went to a Bible college. I live in Bond County. What in the world would you have a clue about talking about this matter? When you love people, it leads you to talk about it. It wasn't long after I became the minister at Hersher Christian Church that a new couple began to worship with us in Hersher. A great couple. Had good jobs. Uh, were raising two uh, young boys that were, were growing, playing sports. Dawson and Deacon, our two oldest, were about their same age. So I coached them in football at times and baseball. A great family. There's only one thing that was really different and unique about them. They were same-sexed. Two young ladies were raising these two boys, and they began to worship with us at Hersher Christian Church. They were invited to our church the way I love people to be invited. Other people were excited about the church and what we were doing with the students and, and a great community. And they're like, hey, come and join us. And they, they came and they worshiped with us. And then they started coming to Sunday school and Wednesday night Bible study and youth group. And, and they even came to one of our small groups at Tiffany and I's house about parenting. But before that, someone came to me uh, three or four weeks after they'd been to church and they said, Tyson, do you think maybe they're homosexual? And I says, I think they are. And you know what? I, I, I agreed to have a conversation with them and, and confirm the assumption. So I uh, just invited them into my office one day, and, and after a little bit of conversation, you know, I asked them if they were living a homosexual lifestyle. And they said, we are. We're partners. We're raising these boys. And I said, man, we love you. We're glad you're here. But the elders had asked me, and I agreed to share this with them, that there was going to be a couple things we asked them to do to refrain from public displays of affection within worship and within the church, uh, to refrain from any uh, overt sexual uh, contact with one another. And they agreed. They understood that that would be unhealthy for them to do that with us at that point. I also asked them if they would refrain from ever trying to influence our students, our young people, in a homosexual uh, uh, agenda, and they agreed. And we continue to be in good relationship with this couple. To protect their names, we're going to call them Allison and Abby today. And we love them. And they love the church. And the whole time we were engaging them and they were with us, the elders prayed that, that we would have such a strong relationship that there would be a blessing that came from them being with us in church. And for years they lived with us in community. And this is the first thing I want us to understand that's real practical that we can do to have uh, show hope and share hope with those that are, that are hurting. To offer hope, we must love and serve all people, including those from the LGBT community. We must love them and serve them. And in that, they'll find hope of Jesus. You're like, oh, is it that easy? No. It's not that easy. It sounds easy in a story. 
But it's not easy until you have figured out how to perfectly balance love and grace like Jesus. And I haven't done that. It's not that easy if you don't know anyone that's gay or transgender. It's only easy if you've never had someone that you love say, I'm gay. It's only easy if you've never wrestled with same-sex attraction. It's only easy if this doesn't apply to you. But I want you to know it's not easy. But because all people matter, it's worth wrestling with. Amen? That's why we're having a conversation today. So how do you love and serve those people well? How, how do you offer grace and truth? You have the awkward conversations to sit down and talk to them and share with them. And you don't jump to conclusions of why they have this feeling or why they have this temptation. And we need to do what Jesus did, practice speaking the truth in love that he did perfectly. So for months, Allison and Abby worshiped with us. And our relationships grew. And they knew where we, where we stood on their practice of homosexuality. And it affected them a little bit within the church. There were limitations. Uh, we didn't let them teach. Uh, they weren't uh, also afforded the, the grace of membership at times. But they continued to pursue more conversations. And, and over the next few months, we agreed to do something I'd never done before. We agreed, uh, myself and them, agreed to talk once a month and just see where we're at. Because we knew how tender this was. And there were times they came into my office in the meeting, and, and I just knew in my heart that they were going to come and say, hey, we want to change, we want to give our lives to Jesus, and we want a fresh start, we want to be made new. But you know what? They never said that. And I continued to, to share with them that while we love them, their lifestyle of living a homosexual lifestyle was outside of God's will, outside of God's full blessing for them. And they disagreed, and I disagreed, and we had great debates in my office, and there were times when we cried, there were times we laughed, there were times we got agitated, but we were walking with them. But there was a point where in each of those conversations as we went on, because I cared for them, I had to tell them that God called them to righteous, holy living under his design. And that we could not endorse or celebrate their actions of homosexuality within the church. So here's the next thing we have to do after loving them. We have to offer hope. We must hold to God's call for righteous living and call all sinners to be saved through Jesus. No matter who you are, I love you enough to tell you this today, that God sent Jesus to die for you, so don't go on uh, sinning, and, and so grace may increase, but stop it so that you'll be blessed. We need to hold to God's righteous living, and that happens only through often a, a life of a relationship. And they listened. But that includes us, that we're to be called to a life of righteousness and holy living. We're going to look at God's word here in a passage that, that Paul calls out the homosexual lifestyle and says, hey, it's not fitting to God's people. But I want you to see all the other things that were in this church in Corinth that God also calls out through the Holy Spirit and Paul. And he says, don't do these things because these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to see it for yourself, um, you can turn your Bible. This is right, uh, uh, same from your pew Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Here's what it says. Paul says, and do, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, these are all sexual moral people, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, 
nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He lists a lot of things here. I want you to see this is not a complete list of possible sins. This is a list of sins that were active in this church. Look what he says. And such were some of you. He goes, you were these things, but look what happened to you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says all these things, as much as you want to despise them, that is who the church was in Corinth. And I would share with you, many of these things have been alive in our church. That is who you were, but you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. You have been made holy uh, through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. So live this way. Notice Paul's not talking to people on the street. He's talking to people in the church. He goes, this is how you once were. This is how God has changed you. And there's hope for everyone in that. That God changes lives. So why do we want to pick and choose what we condemn and what we don't? When we're called to righteous living in all these matters. And simplest things as being drunk or being greedy. Let alone any type of sexual sin. We must hold people to a, a righteous living that God has set apart. Here's another thing we need to hold to. To offer hope, we must declare that everyone's identity and, and value comes from being created in God's image. I think this is the greatest thing the world is hijacking right now in 2022 is that our identity, where we have value, uh, how we categorize ourselves is based on sex. You, you, you hear it on the news, you hear it in TV, you hear it in the schools, you hear it in conversations at, at the grocery store. Uh, well, well my, this is who I am. And then they'll say some sexual orientation. Well, I know sex is a valuable part of the way God has created us. He has first created us as his sons and daughters, and that's it. Our identity is created by the fact we're created in God's image. No other part of creation has been created in God's image, but God breathed life into Adam, and from that point on, humans have been created in God's image, and that's first and foremost. I pray that your eyes are open to this truth and you can share it with others. Look what it says in Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind or humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here's what's interesting. You, you want to know uh, this idea of people uh, transitioning and, and God, I know I was created this way, but I want to be this way. No matter what you do, you will always be who God created you, male or female. And your value is in how God made you. You may feel different and you may dress different, but God made you who you are. Our world often will distort that, that we can pick and choose whatever we want to do. It is, it is not up to us, but we need to embrace our value comes from being a, a son and daughter, a child of God, first and foremost. When we allow our minds to declare we are something else more than just being created in God's image, we devalue God's awesome creation in us. And this is going to step on some of the rest of your toes right now. You may say, well, that's right. People shouldn't say, well, I'm homosexual or I'm transgen uh, transgender, uh, or you just need to be child of God. But what do we do? We say things like this, well, I'm an American who's a Christian. No, you're a Christian. You're a child of God who happens to live in America and be an American. Or you might say, well, well, I am an athlete, or I'm a person who belongs to the Republican or Democrat Party. I'm a Republican or Democrat. No, you are a child of God who has another identity after that. We have messed the order all up in America today. Know this, if you're going to have your highest value in life, you're a son and daughter of God first and foremost. However, if you do have same-sex attraction, what do you do? 
Same-sex attraction is real. What do you do? It doesn't change who you are. Stop declaring your identity solely on a thought or feeling or desire. You are more than your wants or your wishes or who you want to have sex with. You are a son and daughter of God first. Jesus said this in Matthew 19. In this this concept, he quotes Genesis. He goes, haven't you heard that at the beginning the creator made male and female? He says, this is a matter of sex. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. By God's design, Jesus explains here, God created male and female, and they're to be united when they're attracted. And I want you to know, this is a little bit of biology, but a a female cannot be united with a female the same way God has designed a male and female to be united. And a male cannot be united with a male in the same way. God has made our union to be between a female wife and a male husband. That's how our unity is made. We need to hold to that truth. That's his design. This design is how we were created. And yet there's a struggle by nurture or nature. We have differing wants and desires in the way God designed. You know what we call this? Temptation. We all have it. We all have temptations that lead us outside of God's will. Some are just more physical than others. But look what James says in James 1. Each person is tempted... When they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. They can be different. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Here's the reality. There may be desires that you have that when you embrace them, when you allow them to grow, will lead to death. And it has nothing to do with sex. But when any desire that is a part of God's, apart from God's will that we embrace, that we allow uh, our, our own desires to go above God's, it leads to death every time. It is called sin. And here's the reality. Homosexual desires are real. And this is something that some of you are going to push back on a little bit, but homosexual desires in and of themselves are not sin. Let that sink in. Same-sex attraction... Wants and wishes are not sin and of themselves. But when we uh, entice them, when, when we embrace them, when we choose them time and time again over what God wants, that is sin and it leads to death. No much more than if I have a desire for another woman and I let that desire grow and I embrace it and I pursue it and I, fu- and I let it be fulfilled in my life and I practice it, it will lead to sin. It will destroy my marriage and my relationship with God and I will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we willfully engage something outside of God's will, there are great consequences, and I love you too much not to tell you. Are there there different consequences, emotional and physical, for sex outside of the marriage, especially when they're homosexual in nature? There often are. They're emotional and physical dilemmas. But every sin is forgivable by God. And sure, there is a debate on sexual orientation, The concept is, are people born this way or does it happen by nature and what they're exposed to? And I would suggest the answer is yes. Uh, Our temptation, our desires are developed from a lot of factors. But just because you have a desire or want doesn't give you the green light to do what you want. Every person has a choice to how they express themselves and who they express themselves sexually with. That is a requirement of everyone. No one's off the hook to say, well, this is just, you know, boys will be boys. They're going to do what they... No! 
Everyone has a requirement of how they live their life sexually. God has set up parameters for that. That includes high school sweethearts. It includes young adults who are engaged. And yes, it includes you. No matter who you are listening, you have a a guideline God has established for your sexual blessing. And once again, uh, sex is good within the context of a, a husband and wife in marriage as God has designed. Anything that is outside of those parameters, there are dilemmas for that. If you choose to live a life, uh, uh, live a, uh, outside that will, it will cost you dearly. Here's the reality, though. While the questions of homosexuality is form, foremost on our minds often, I am convinced that there is much more heterosexual sin among our church family than any homosexual sin. And it's causing great problems as well. So let me ask you right now, what sexual sin is enticing you that you allow to be grown in your life, that you allow to be flirted with, that you allow to be uh, taken action upon, that you allow to control your life, that you realize is outside of God's will, but you're doing it anyways because it feels good, it's what you want, it's, it's the way you're made, and it's costing you dearly. Whatever that may be, and I'm not even going to give any possibilities because you know what it is you need to repent no matter what gender it's based with no matter what what uh, fetish it has to do with if it's outside of God's will and you know it please repent so that you may be fully blessed so that nothing in your life or this church will be held back so that you could have life and life to the full through Jesus and if you have a lot to repent of know this you can receive the grace of God that can set you free amen So how can we share hope with the LGBT plus community? All the things we've said, but also we we must repent. We must not be hypocritical. If we really want to impact the lives around us with hope, we've got to live the hope ourselves. This is what Jesus said, and I'm going to close with this passage. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, own, your eye while the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. That's what Jesus says. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We can say all day long that we want to provide hope to the LGBT community. We finally figured out it's about uh, God's value of them, and it's not just about their sin because we all have sin. But if you hold on to your own sin, how can you talk about hope? My sin and your sin is often much more private that we won't tell anyone. And just because someone's sin is on display, it doesn't change the fact that we all need grace the same. And until you're willing to confess and repent of your sin, I would suggest to you your ability to offer hope to someone else will be held back. So what do you need to repent of? What do you need to let go of and be forgiven of so you can truly talk about hope? Alice and Abby... They continued to worship with us for years at Hersher. Man, we loved them. They, they were part of a lot of things in the church family, small groups and, and different types of ministry. But you could tell over the years after our conversation in the office, uh, our, our, our meetings got more intense. There were tears. There were, there were frustration at times. And they came into the office at points uh, feeling guilty but reluctant to ever repent. Until one point, Abby said, Tyson, if you don't accept our actions and how we live for who we are and fully celebrate that, we're leaving the church. And man, I, I, I was broken. I was like, 
as much as we love you, we cannot celebrate your homosexual actions. And they left. And then soon after that, we left to come here. And I still kind of pay attention to their boys and, and their lifestyle and, and just what they're doing on Facebook. And then a couple years ago, um, Abby and Allison broke up. Abby, who had desired at times to stay with the church and keep working with us, um, left and uh, gave her life back to Jesus, started going to church again, and later remarried and is raising her boys with a godly man. And those boys are growing and doing well. But her partner, as far as I know, is still very reluctant to ever think about a change, that there's any hope beyond her life. I praise God for the change in, in Abby, and I recommitted to continue to pray for Allison. Because we can never give hope, give up on hope that changes everything. I would ask you to pray for both of those ladies, even though their names are nothing like I shared with you. Pray for their boys. Pray for people you know that, that are hurting, that feel like they're rejected. And I want to remind you today as, as we close, how can we share hope? Well, we do it by this way. We commit to loving them and serving them. Everyone. We commit to a call for righteous living and, and to be saved through Jesus. And to celebrate that our identity, their identity, everyone's identity doesn't come from what we feel, what we want, but it comes from the fact we're created in God's image. And that, first and foremost, and you know what happens? Hope can come through conversations like this. The message is over and I can breathe again. Have we answered all the questions? Not even close. Have we given you something to talk about at lunch? I hope so. Does God love each and every person that's here and each and every person that's in the world? Absolutely enough that he sent his son to die for us. But we need to be honest about how he's working, how, how he's called us to live. And I want you to know I love you. I love your family, the, the, the people that, that are struggling with this question. And I would love to talk to them in private. The elders would love to pray for them in private. And we'd love to continue to walk with you as we follow Jesus together. Because we're all sinners that need a Savior. Because that hope changes everything. Father in heaven, uh, as we come to this time of decision today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and lead us to repentance of, of ex specifically any sexual sin. Of a teenager, of a, of a family that's uh, going through a, a divorce, of an engaged couple of a person that's never desired a relationship but has still attraction. Father, of that person who is uh, dealing with their same-sex attraction. Lord, all these things are, are real, and we give them to you. We, we ask you to change us and to, to mold us into more like Jesus for his glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? If you have a decision to make, if you would want prayer about anything that needs to be said today, if you just want to talk, Dee and I would love to talk to you, um, uh, spend time with God, and give it to him. Let's sing.